Hello and welcome to session 29 of the Fire Science Show. So let's start with a tough question. Can you tell the difference between a bus and a train? I guess uh, it's a horrible post question because it's a little obvious, but yeah, let's let's rephrase that quite a bit. Can you tell the difference between a fire that starts in the passenger chamber of a bus or a coach and a fire that starts in the passenger chamber of the train? I mean, they're like quite similar environments in in fact they have <laughs> seats upholstered they they have some sorts of carpets linings uh, ceilings they are filled with people passengers who carry their luggages so in the end the ignition sources the materials the architecture of the compartment they they seem quite similar yet if you had the fire start in the very same way in in a bus and in a train they would end up completely differently. And that has a lot to do with the materials used in, in these two vehicles. And more precisely, the way how the fire properties of these materials are assessed and what is allowed to be used on both of the types of the transport vehicles. And uh, to discover what truly makes the difference between those two and what made one of them so much worse than the other I have invited Dr. Anja Hoffmann-Bullinghaus from German BAM, and she's one of the leaders in, in testing the materials used in modern vehicles. She's going to tell me a lot more about how we test our vehicles, how we achieve safety or how we don't achieve safety in some of them, and what's truly missing <laughs> to create a, a lot safer world in, in the world of transportation. It's very interesting because a lot of what we say can be extrapolated from buses and trains into passenger vehicles and maybe to even the whole uh, building industry because a lot of these methods are very, very universal. I hope this will be very interesting to you. It was very interesting to me and you really want to hear what uh, Anya has to say. Uh, so maybe in our fields or your fields, we avoid the mistakes done by others. Enjoy. Welcome to the Fireside Show. My name is Wojciech Wigzinski and I will be your host. Hello, everybody. I'm today here with Dr. Anja Hoffmann-Bullinghaus. Hello, Anja. Good to see you. Yeah. Hi. Nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for taking the invitation. I'm very uh, happy to have you here. So we've came here to discuss issues of fire safety in mass transport because uh, I've heard you've did a lot of research on fire safety of buses and material properties used in them. And then I was like, well, that's a quite a unique research topic. Okay. I don't know many bus fire scientists. I do a lot of research on passenger cars and car parks. So it's actually super interesting to me. Uh, please tell me what, what pushed you on this pathway to focus on, on, on fire safety of mass transport and buses in particular. Yeah, it, it was uh, mainly a, a very big fire in Germany in 2009, uh, where the uh, whole bus burned down and uh, had many fatalities. We already, before this happened, know that the materials, the interior materials, uh, were not as good as in other transport sectors. 
And so we were not that surprised that the whole uh, bus burned down. Yeah, but it gave us the opportunity to have a project on this bus fire mm -hmm. in particular. Was it a fire of the vehicle uh, like alone or was it like in a tunnel or was it just a bus that burned down and people died in it? Um, it was a, a bus uh, on the motorway. On the motorway. And the problem was that the fire was not detected in the first part of the development. So it developed in the toilet and luggage area for some time. And the, the bus has an air conditioning which sucks air from the top and pushes it uh, through, through the floor. So the smoke came out of the bus underneath. So the bus driver didn't see that oh, there wow. was smoke. And um, the cars behind the bus tried to alert him that there is a problem and that there is smoke. And then he stopped, but it is assumed that one passenger opened the toilet door and gave the uh, fire oxygen. And then the whole cabin, the whole passenger cabin was on fire very quickly. And then um, the, the toilet is close to the rear exit. And so the rear exit was not usable. And so the passengers mm. could only uh, use the front exit. And all the passengers who were behind this rear exit had no chance to leave the bus wow. because it, it was so quick. The development of the fire in the passenger cabin, uh, the people who, who survived, they, they could tell that they uh, couldn't even rescue the ones which are really close to the exit because it was so hot and so much smoke that they couldn't even grab the, the people who were very close to the exit. That is such a horrible combination of unfortunate events because you have a concealed fire that's undetected. You have a space with the, the ideal ratio of ventilation to fuel to uh, let the fire grow, but uh, stay in this, let's say, incipient stage. So it's heating up, but not flaming to give a warning, but uh, again, not like going out. So it's just smoldering. So it must have been like quite a big fire in, in there. And then a quick opening or quick gulp of air. And you, you like almost have an internal backdraft inside the bus. Yeah, we, so, we did some FDS calculations at the time and uh, we could show that if you have a fire which develops in this area where it's not that much air and then you give air to the fire, then, then you have a very quick filling of the whole passenger cabin with flames and smoke. In a way, show that this um, scenario is likely that someone opened the, the toilet door and that has uh, made the situation so so bad. This scenario is nothing very uncommon in buildings. Like this is how backdrops happen. This is how many firefighters train uh, these situations. But we're talking about buildings, not sitting comfortably in a bus on a motorway. So we probably had also, you would not like to jump from window to motorway. We, we had two <laughs> fires. Actually, it's funny that you say that we had two fires with, with younger people mm. in, I think, so the two or three years after this incident. And they uh, survived because they smashed the windows in the upper deck and they jumped out of the window. But I don't think a, a normal passenger can do that because it mm. is quite high and you have to be really fit to do that. So it, it, it was only luck that these passengers were so young and so mm. able to do that. If, if you have elderly passengers or passengers who are, have a reduced mobility, I don't think yes. it's possible. 
And b- before we jump into the material pro- properties, because that, that is the interesting topic. If this happened on a plane, for example, you would have the cargo smoke detectors, most likely that would pick up the incipient stage of the fire and, and, and so on. Did this tragedy led to some sort of introduction of detection in buses afterwards? Yes, a lot of companies introduced these uh, smoke detectors very quickly, but it became mm. mandatory then after a few years that you have smoke detection in areas as a driver can't see. So um, this fire probably would have been detected earlier if there had been a smoke detector at the time in the toilet or in the luggage area. Mm. So with new regulations, it may be less possible for such a deadly um, fire to occur because the fatal outcome of this fire seems to be a combination of many things. But one of them has not really changed that much, or I wonder here how much it changed, and that's the uh, material properties. And no matter if the fire is detected or not, no matter if the bus is on the road or, or parked in a, in a lot, we know that these vehicles can burn. They are quite dangerous, especially when you have uh, like a hundred of them parked next to each other. And we had these fires of like large bus depots. We had some in Poland. I know, I think in Stuttgart, there was a recently a large fire of this type. Yes, we and, had uh, several, yes, this year uh, in Germany in, in bus depots where you see that, yeah, that they spread from one bus to another very quickly. And the consequences of such a fire are, are well beyond uh, just the loss of a vehicle because it's a huge disturbance to the local community. If you lose a hundred buses, the city can have quite big issues uh, operating. Like we would just buy old buses from Germany, but... Yes, you have, <laughs> you have to manufacture them, I guess. Yeah, I but, think if they can't operate, then for the insurers, it is sometimes a bigger problem when they can't mm. operate the next few weeks or months, then there's the actual loss of the bus. But if you have bus depots and you have mm. 20 or even, I don't know, we had a, a fire in 2011 with nearly 70 buses in one incident. No, that's a, quite a disturbance. Yeah. So, um... Going to the material issue, I assume you started interest in, in materials after this uh, big fire. And what was your first surprising finding regarding the materials? What did you expect when you've entered the study and what uh, did you find out about them? Yeah, we were really surprised that the requirements for the automotive sector are, are really below all the other transport sectors. The requirements are going back to the uh, 1960s. And they consider mostly very little ignition sources like lighters or matches. They're supposed to be smoker equipment. It was based on the assumption that uh, someone who smokes in the car doesn't mm. set the car on fire. But over the years, I mean, a, a car or a bus from the 60s is not really comparable with something we have today. So the, the amount of, of plastic is, is really not comparable to these older buses. And it seems in recent years that it's um, even more plastic than before for comfort and for other things. And so the materials behave quite different from, say, mm-hmm. train materials. And because the requirements are so low, you have total different fire behavior of these materials. If you compare a bus seat and a train seat, they burn completely different. So it's not only the material itself, but if you have a component like a seat, that it um, burns totally different. If you have a train seat, and uh, we made a lot of uh, experiments with paper cushions, mm-hmm. 
and uh, we ignited the paper cushions on top of the seat or a seat mock-up. Mm -hmm. And um, the train seat is uh, is made so that it's not burning. So the paper cushion is burning and then it's not burning further. And if you have a bus seat, then within two minutes, the whole, the whole seat is burning and it doesn't stop. Yeah, I have in front of me your report on buses and there's like... Um array of pictures showing the calorimetry tests of train seats, coach seats, city bus from 95 and city bus from 2005. And I assume from the pictures itself, you can clearly see how different each of them uh, behaves and how bigger the, the fire is when it's in the city bus. And it actually develops after the initial fire source is removed. So this concept of resisting the ignition source is, is, is clearly failing here. I know my colleagues, uh, we, we have similar issues with uh, testing building materials and, you know, they, they have some tests where you have, for example, put a cigarette against the material to test. And we're actually running out of cigarettes that meet the requirements of the standard. It's a quite, quite difficult to obtain a, such a horrible cigarettes yeah. <laughs> as the test standard requires. Here, I always had this, I don't know, doubt, interest in understanding these tests, because for me, when you define the ignition source so well, you can, if I was a producer, I could play around that, you know, I could make a material that resists this particular ignition source and just stop my development after that because I've passed the test and, and I'm good. And if you look at that from scientist perspective, if you go into like material science, even at the simple concept of, uh, of activation energy or ignition temperature, it, it's not that it doesn't ignite. You just move the boundary of, of what is necessary to ignite that. So my next question is, did you go beyond the ignition properties and, and kept burning these items to learn more about them? Um, yes, we, we compared them to the tests from the train sector. So we put bus materials we obtained from suppliers or one from a real bus. We could mm -hmm. take some uh, specimens and we uh, tested them against the train regulations, the European okay. train regulations. And you can see a very big difference because none of the materials we tested from the different sources uh, would be allowed in a train. So we, we found not one single material which passed the European test for trains and I think trains and buses are not that different if, <laughs> when, when you look yeah, how mm -hmm. they operate. So the argument often is that the bus is easier to stop on the street and that it can stop everywhere. But on the other hand, you need some time. I mean, if you're on a motorway or if you're in a tunnel, you need some time to stop and you need some time to evacuate. So I think if you compare a city tram and a city bus, it's, it's not so different. And it was, it was like all flammability characteristics, like it was both uh, heat release rates, smoke production, uh, the yields of toxic materials, or just some particular ones that went out of range? It is more or less everything, unfortunately. Okay. That's <laughs> not very positive. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
the main test in the automotive sector is a horizontal test, and um, mm-hmm. I think I don't have to explain to you. I mean, if you if you have yeah, but uh, you're very you very welcome match. to explain it to the listeners. And... <laughs> if you have yeah. a match and you hold it in a horizontal mm-hmm. way, it will not burn very much, and yeah. if you have it in a vertical direction, it will burn much more. So the horizontal test is not really discriminating a lot of materials which means in the end that you can use a lot of materials you are not allowed in other sectors. I mean, even Mm -hmm. in the building sector, you have a vertical test as a minimum flammability test. And this is the same in in the train sector and the ships and the the aircraft. I think the horizontal test as a minimum requirement is not working very well because it's not discriminating enough materials. So at least... It would be good to have a vertical test as a minimum requirement as it is in, in other sectors. In all the other transport sectors, you limit the heat release rate and the smoke mm-hmm. production and the toxicity. And in the bus uh, sector or in the automotive sector, you only um, have the flammability more or less. You have the vertical test and, and the horizontal test, and you have one which is uh, smelting the specimen, but you don't have anything which measures the heat release rate or limits the heat release rate, and you have nothing which limits the smoke production or the toxicity. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. So, so you say that in this particular area, the, the whole fire safety of the, the vehicle actually was brought down to the concept of pretty much ignition. Yeah. So that's the, the one and sole layer of protection that it's actively verified with these horizontal tests and melting to some point, I guess. that's. Oh. Uh, but that's also uh, a characteristic that I would put into the bracket of fire spread more than anything else, uh, because before uh, your ceiling starts melting on passengers, they're probably already dead from the smoke anyway. It's very ignition-oriented. Yeah. Whereas uh, from the tests that I know, where you would do heat release rates in any form, even simple heat of combustion, that's an indicator of, let's say, the amount of heat or, or the size of the fire that can be produced. If you do cone, you look at the very beautiful picture of the fire behavior of the material, including reaction to heat feedback, ignitability into the production of toxic uh, products. When we go into into buildings uh, and, and how we would verify many of the features for the buildings, you would enter this single burning item test, SBI, where you would holistically look at the fire behavior of an element. And I, I can clearly imagine myself putting a bus chair inside SBI that's perfectly viable and, and, and could be used. And if you go up, there's room corner, maybe not as used as many years ago, but it's also a holistic view on the characteristics of, of your materials in, in compartment. So you, your view and your possibilities of understanding the fire behavior are like infinitely bigger than just flammability. Do you miss these features in these simple tests? Yes, several aspects. You have a very small ignition source like a Bunsen burner, Mm. so even the flammability test is not very strong. And in the recent regulations, you have more of the uh, vertical test, but Mm -hmm. only for vertical mounted uh, materials. Mm -hmm. So something like the ceiling, which is not vertical mounted, (laughs) would not have to pass a vertical test, but it can promote the, the fire very well because you ignite ignite the ceiling very fast and then it, it spreads uh, very good. 
And then on the other side, the, the heat release rate and, and the smoke production rate would tell you something of the ability to, to spread the fire. Mm-hmm. And if you don't limit the heat release rate and you have really, really high heat release rates, then it will tell you that the fire propagates through the passenger cabin very quickly. Mm-hmm. And if you don't limit the, the smoke production, you will have less visibility very, very quickly. And so if the passengers can't see the easy exit, they probably won't be able to reach it. So with this fire in 2009, um, they found passengers which were um, still stripped on their seats. So they mm. didn't even lose the seat belt because it, it was so fast. So, and that, yeah, tells you something about mm. the, the timeline in this development and that is if you look at uh, pictures from bus fires you very often you see the same picture that there is no combustible material left you only have the metal parts of the bus and this goes really really quick so if even if the fire service is relatively quick and is at the scene at 10 minutes and they don't have any chance to rescue some somebody so you have a situation where you accept that the fire service can't rescue anybody. And this is, for me, that is a strange, a strange situation. I took you here on a purpose because this particular issue is like a microcosm of the issues of fire safety we have in all sectors of fire safety. Test methods driving the development, not the fire safety, focusing on one particular characteristic of a material, also in the context of passing a test without having a holistic view over the use of the material and the environment in which it will be used. Focusing on small-scale events, such as an ignition of a chair, without considering uh, how would this behave when it was a group of buses parked next to each other, where your heat release rate or, or the, the size of the fire next to your bus is so tremendous, it doesn't matter what your ignition temperature was of your material, it will ignite. And I guess in your very deep work on, on this subject, the government asked you to investigate this to prevent this. In your study, did you reach these conclusions like this has to change, otherwise these large-scale events will, will continue? Um, yes, I think we had several recommendations. It was the, the smoke detection, it was the engine suppression, because a lot of fires, at least in the classic <laughs> buses, mm. are starting in the engine area. And so a suppression system is, is very um, useful to at least slow down um, the fire until the, the fire service is uh, mm. on scene. One aspect we recommended, I think we're recommending this for 10 years now or something like that, to do something about the materials. And there is very slow change. I mean, there is this change that the, the vertical mounted materials now have to be tested vertically, but this is more or less the only thing which has changed with the materials. From my perspective, I'm very interested in the topic of, of fire sources and size of fires and plastics and in relation to the size of the fire. It's also something that is, I'm really curious and maybe we can talk about that. The use of the plastics in, in our vehicles over the decades, mm-hmm. how it changed. And does this invalidate our assumptions for fire safety in many of the infrastructure projects? Because I'll give you my example. Mm-hmm. We do design car parks for passenger vehicles. 
And because there is no very much research on the fires on passengers' vehicles, there is very few holistic uh, projects on that. We still would base our design from fire tests by TNO in 1999 because they were very well documented. They were done in a car park. They were very well performed experiments. Of course, there were further experiments in BRE. There were some in Japan recently. Not saying that there was no research, but I still find it very hard to replace my 20-year-old design fire because I feel confident regarding the setup, not Mm. necessarily the vehicle. And now, 1999, so they've burned vehicles like not fresh from a factory. They must have bought like few years old cars, like BRE bought 10-year-old cars for, for their experiments. So I'm basing on, on like beginning of the of the 90s. So vehicles from that period would now be considered classics. And they increase in value now and they are completely different from what I have and what I see in my car. Yes. Like it's a totally different planet uh, completely different every everything is plastic yeah. everything so yeah. maybe you have a number for that or maybe just rough assumption but to what extent this increased and how much it changes the holistic image of the vehicle fire no i i can't quantify it i'm yeah. sorry but what i can uh, say certainly is that that the cars are totally different from from the cars 10 or 20 years ago so uh, and they burn quite different. So you see sometimes if you only look at the parts, there there are very big difference. And we did this seed experiment you mentioned mm-hmm. before, and unfortunately the newer seed burned much more than the older seed. So even in in this bus, you could see that after a few years the situation got worse. And that is not something you would expect. I mean, you would expect that the, the more modern seed burns not as much as the older one, but it's that's not the case. The old seed has uh, wood parts, mm-hmm. and the newer seed didn't have any wood parts anymore. And the, the foam was totally different. I can't say what it is because we <laughs> we don't know. It was from, from two actual buses, but it was um, thicker and it, it was more material. It looked and felt different. So there is a lot of change in these materials and that leads to, to a totally different burning behavior. And it's uh, more material. It's easier uh, to ignite. And from your report, I also assume it's also more toxic, right? We found that the the smoke production is very high and that the toxicity is um, very high or the toxic components are (laughs) very Mm -hmm. present. And we tried to find out whether you can limit one parameter so Mm -hmm. that you don't have to look at everything. And the, the, the train regulations are quite complicated because you have to limit the smoke production, the heat release, and the, the toxicity. And so you have yeah, a whole set of um, experiments. And then we thought maybe it can be easier. But unfortunately, with all the materials we tested, we found that if you have a material which is okay in terms of heat release, then you can have uh, very toxic gases or very high smoke production. So you need to look at all three parameters additional to the flammability to have really a material which behaves better. So it is not enough to look at one of these three parameters, but you have to have a limit on all of them so that you really have materials which are better than, than the ones you are using now. 
I also have my eyes on graphs from the toxicity of your repos. And one thing that's really stressful to me is that even if some materials perform well in them, there are other materials who will perform horribly bad. Like in one of your tests, HCL is produced uh, not in a, such a bad amount for like a seed foam or insulation materials, but then you, you have floor coverings or ceilings we go crazy. And on other graphs, it's opposite. And yet in the vehicle, you have a, the perfect mix of all of them. Did you try or maybe you know any tests where it would be tested like holistically, like a whole vehicle would burn and this would be measured or, or it was not approached? No, no, but I think you need, at first you need um, a scenario you want to address. I mm -hmm. think with all the other transport sectors, they They have um, a scenario in mind which they want to prevent. I mean, they have minimum escape times. We didn't even agree on that so far. How many mm -hmm. times do you need to, to leave a bus in the case of fire? And so no test is really addressing this. And mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, we, we need to concentrate on what do we want to, to reach? Do we want to have, say, 10 minutes or 15 minutes for the passengers to, to leave the bus? Okay, you need a test which shows you in the end that this is possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we tried to combine numerical simulations with our small-scale test to see um, what the benefit is of, of some materials. And I think you, you, you could do this if, if we had one calculation where we put in our model train seats and then we looked how, how the fire would develop if you have a train seat instead of a bus seat in, in your bus. And then you see that... With this paper cushion I mentioned earlier, then your development is so much slower that you have so much more time to escape. So that would really give a very big benefit. And I think if you would have better requirements for seeds, you probably would have really big benefit for the passengers. I also find it really interesting because uh, for me, it's very difficult to change my uh, point of view into the safety of the vehicle and vehicle users because I'm I'm so used to car parks and tunnels where I would care about the infrastructure and everyone else, basically. So uh, it also shows how we're uh, like in kind of separate bubbles. Uh, like I, I enjoy talking to you and you most likely enjoy talking to other fire scientists, but there is no industry to industry discussion. Mm. I feel there is no discussion between the car industry at a whole with the uh, built environment industry as a whole. Yeah, true. Uh, oh. And you cannot separate the world of vehicles from the world of buildings, which are for vehicles to use. Yeah. And I, I find lack of connection here. Mm. It's really, really bad for us all. Yeah. Because there is so much we, as, as the building industry, could uh, help with the, the other industry Like identify with all the test methods, with cones, yeah. with everything. Like, yeah. I mean, we've been there. We had combustible linings in buildings. People have died and we fixed that. We had uh, horrible flammability issues and one way or another they were controlled. We're battling with, with burning facades and it's also a similar issue. So it would be great. And then we have to design our buildings for the dangers that this industry is preparing for us. And and now on, on, on this topic, on the dangers that the industry is preparing. So let's go into the world of uh, electromobility. And I'll start this by a very bold statement of my own. 
I would claim that the change in the amount of plastics in a vehicle and their burning behavior is a far bigger risk factor than just using a battery or electric motor inside. I personally, if I see these two problems and I would have all the money and uh, resources to solve one of them, I would go materials, not mm. batteries. What would you pick? Um, I, I agree to your point. I think if you uh, compare the fire, uh, the engine fire from the battery and, and the gasoline fire, I think mm -hmm. it is comparable. That is, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you have some additional problems in, in both of them. I mean, if you have fuel and it can distribute itself on the floor, then you have other problems as with mm -hmm. the battery where you have more toxic gases maybe. or And jet fires. Yeah. Something like that, but the, the materials are, are quite a big problem in both fires, and mm -hmm. um, often they are not addressed. Often you are talking about the the engine or the battery, and then you think, okay, that is really comparable, and I agree. But the the, the whole part of the materials is not addressed, and and you have a lot of problems in this area. And um, I agree that they should be solved. I think one, one problem you have with your batteries is if you are charging them, you're introducing another possible ignition source. And we saw this in, in some of these depot fires that sometimes the battery causes the fire. And so if you have a car park or a depot and you are charging, mm -hmm. then you're uh, adding more possible ignition sources. You know, It's frustrating there is this debate on, on electric vehicles and everything in the vehicle side of fire safety is now so electric vehicle oriented and that's the next big thing. But you, you, you go over the fact that you have one ton of highly combustible plastic in your vehicle and this, this battery is, is not really changing that much. From the infrastructure point of view, the largest fires in car parks that happened recently Stavanger Airport fire, the Liverpool uh, Eco fire. We had a huge fire in Warsaw where uh, a large car park has, has burned down. These were not so devastating because we had a, a vehicle with batteries in there. No, no. Mm. they were devastating because cars are very flammable. They contain hundreds of kilograms of plastics and they're in a compartment that essentially is designed to be quite well ventilated because you need to remove the fumes from the vehicle. So essentially you're putting a, a hell load of fuel into well ventilated space and that's what you get. Yeah. So, so I assume from our perspective in our infrastructure, it's so highly underestimated the flammability of cars. And I guess from this talk and how you described the, the testing and uh, The safety procedures in the world of large vehicles, I guess, is the same for you. If, if you look at this Liverpool car fire, you saw that the structure was really destroyed after this. So Stavanger as was, well. Stavanger was, as well. So it was not made to, no. to survive that. And if you look at the bus depots, at least the fires we had in Germany, the structure was destroyed as well. And with the buses, you have the additional problem that if you try to extinguish them from the outside. They are rain safe, of course. <laughs> They are made to be rain safe. So okay. you have really a problem if you have a bus depot which is really packed and they normally do this because they they don't have that much space and they want to, to make use of this space. So the uh, buses are very close to each other. And then if you have one fully developed fire in one bus, 
normally it's very difficult to save the others because you already mm -hmm. have um, so many um, hot gases and smoke you release with this one bus on fire. And if you have a ceiling, then you distribute the whole hot gas layer over all your buses. Okay, let's make a full circle. At the start, you've said that uh, you've uh, observed it being quite different from the other transportation industries like trains and I assume aircraft as well and, mm. and marine as well. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, in, that, for example, in terms of, of trains, the issue is solved and the same methods would work in buses and potentially in other industries? And mm -hmm. if yes, how would you rank the method? What, what would be the best to implement the quickest to, to get the best return? Um, I think from my perspective, the easiest would be to say we use uh, the train materials we already have on the market in buses as well. That would be a very easy you, and very you mean like quick. Pla like uh, plastic seats, uh, cushions, linings, like these types of materials, yes? Yes. So if you, if you would say you need the same requirements as in trains, I mean, so the trains and the buses have different levels they address. Um, if mm -hmm. you have a train which is only on... Yeah, like a city train, you have less restrictions than if you have a train which is going long distance and using mm -hmm. tunnels. And you could um, apply the same approach on buses as well. I, I do think that you don't have to be as strict with a city bus as with a bus which is uh, mm -hmm. doing long distance where the people are sleeping and which is much more mm -hmm. comfortable. So you have these differences uh, in buses in trains with would be relatively easy to find something which satisfies the needs of um, different buses in the same way as it is done with trains. But it would, of course, make the materials more expensive. I'm surprised because I thought that you would say it to, to implement the same testing methods or transport some, let's say, approaches from the, the industry. But what you've said is actually so, so much, so much smarter. The good materials already exist. It's like, it, it's not that... We, we stand at the end of, uh, of the road and we have to invent a new material or we fail. It's just they exist. It seems the issues with the ranking system and how we let some materials be used in a certain way and how some other materials are, are not promoted. And when it comes down to economic incentive, it's always the, the cheaper one uh, will outpace the more expensive one. It's quite sad that... <laughs> It's in the end, it, it comes down to, 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 to money because uh, it's society that pays for mass transport. And I guess it wouldn't be such a big deal to tr transfer that. No, I don't think so. I mean, if you, if you compare an example from a different area, if you see mattresses in, in the UK and mattresses, say, in, in Germany, but I think most mm -hmm. in, in most European countries, it's the same. We don't have in Germany any requirements for mattresses. And in the UK, the, the uh, requirements are relatively high. And if you go to uh, this big Swedish uh, uh, shop, as you, so the price is really comparable. It's not mm -hmm. that the UK mattress is so much more expensive than if you buy this in Germany or in other European countries. So I, I guess if you would have a new regulation and it is mandatory for all the buses, then I don't think the price would increase as much as you now estimate if you only look at the difference between trains and buses. So in, in the end, it's all about, it could be all about smart legislation and just promoting the, the good rules. I have a last question related to, to the best of your knowledge. These regulations related to flammability and the use of materials, 
are they also applied in like passenger cars or there's a world that's completely different or no, that's that's very harmonized. The, the whole automotive sector, that that is is good. It's very harmonized, nearly worldwide, very harmonized. But uh, just with the bit, just with the wrong standards. <laughs> it's a pity that the requirements are not <laughs> not so high here. Yeah. So, so so this like issues with flammability, plastics, toxicity, and everything. It, it's the same like pathway as as the large vehicles, and it would it's just a different scale, but the methods would be the same yeah. and. Uh, yeah, so you have more or less the same tests with the, uh, with the cars as well. I mean, normally you have less passengers, so your problem might be smaller. But even mm -hmm. with the cars, you see that after a collision, you really have a big danger for the passenger to die in this, in this accident. I think it is an issue with the cars as well, only on, on a other scale, because you don't have this, this single uh, severe incidence. You have more, a lot of smaller incidents, and so it's not so visible. But if, if you look at the news, you see very often this, that, that a car had an accident, a collision, and then a fire, and then it was impossible to save driver. I, I, I was quite aware of the, the issues with plastics and everything and how the vehicles changed. Because there was recently a, a very good report by NFPA on the evolution of, of vehicle mm. fires. And I know there's a follow-up to that one with full-scale uh, electric vehicles experiments. And from my perspective, that's exactly what we need to build better infrastructure, this holistic testing. Yeah. And from your side, it also seems uh, optimistic that if you only could change the, the testing regime and standards and promote these better methods, which I, I hope uh, you eventually will uh, unleash on the industry... And then if Germans do that, that's like half of the cars in the world already. So we can, <laughs> we will be, we will be much, much safer. Thank you very much for, for this interesting talk with some really uh, sad conclusions that uh, the solution may be simple. It, it just costs, uh, uh, maybe not even too much. It's just the cost someone doesn't want to pay. That's. Yeah, I think it's uh, the willingness is not, not there at the moment to, to change. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't hope that there is a, a, another big fire which changes, but uh, yeah, I still yeah, hope we can have some change without uh, <laughs> another major fire. Maybe episodes like this one will help uh, promote the movement towards the better. That's that actually is the point of doing this. Yeah, very um, good, very good. I would really uh, appreciate that. <laughs> I, I hope so. Thank you so much, Anya, for your time talking about this important issue and. Yeah, all, all the best. If you change the industry, please let me know. Okay. I would love to uh, make a very optimistic follow-up episode to this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm working in a reaction to fire uh, in the building sector as well. So maybe okay. that's, I mean, I don't oh, know, yeah. and with facade. So, but that is not a, a funny uh, topic either. Thank you so much once again and see you around. Yeah, thank you. So after this talk, I, I feel slightly depressed. We have identified a quite a problematic field of engineering We've identified quite a significant problem for the for the environment, for the people, with the flammability of materials used in modern vehicles, buses. We have identified quite a problematic area where the flammability standards or reaction to fire standards may not be doing the best job filtering good solutions from bad solutions. And then, on the other hand, just next doors, there's a very similar industry in which similar issues have been solved for years and years. And uh, they're so, so similar to each other, but yet 
there is no transport of knowledge from one to another. Why? I don't really get why cannot we have the same materials that we have as we have in trains, in our buses. I mean, if it's identified that it is a problem, if it's identified that people literally die in fires because these materials are not good enough. And from the research Anya was quoting, and I'll link some of that in the show notes, it is obvious that materials are a significant part of the issue. So, so if it is so obvious, why cannot we just change the materials? There is this unknown force that is holding us back. And I'm depressed because I see this invisible force or glass ceilings everywhere in fire safety. Everywhere where we have a bunch of legal testing frameworks that are so coupled with each other in ways that it's impossible to decouple them anymore. In, in ways that prevent us from really engineering the correct solutions because they would suddenly not meet the requirements of the law. Why are we forced to stand with these regulations instead of choosing a pathway that is known and is known to be efficient, working and providing safety to the users? It's, it's horrible. And I, I really appreciate that people like Anya exist who research that to show this disturbance on paper with proofs. It's just sad that it is so hard to reach the people in charge with this message. And I, I would love to make a call to action to all of you so you can reach out to your authorities or something, but I understand that it's unrealistic. So yeah, maybe the best thing is just to share the knowledge we have seek for the best solutions and and promote them wherever we can and and just use science-based evidence as the foundation of our engineering and let's just try to create a fire safe world one project at a time and when you have a chance to, to talk with the authorities if you see an issue like, like in here with the materials used in buses take action educate and maybe this will help solving one of the issues of the world, which for some reason are, are still unsolved, even though the solutions exist. It's actually mind-blowing that the solutions are there, the materials are there. It's just not being used because regulations don't promote them. Anyway, it was very interesting to talk with Anya about that. I've learned a lot about direction to fire. I've learned a lot about how test method, the goal within the regulations can really change the holistic image of a whole sector or of a whole field of fire engineering. And I'm, I'm very glad to have received this lesson from, from Anya. And yeah, in the next episode, there's more lessons to come. I have a very exciting thing uh, to share with you that recently happened to me and one of my friends. And we're going to spend a whole episode uh, discussing that and what interesting pathways that opens. So I hope you join us the next Wednesday. We'll be here. And yeah, thank you for listening to Fire Science Show and see you next Wednesday. This was the Fire Science Show. Thank you for listening and see you soon.